0: Uh, today we're coming to the end of this series on, on love. We've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for the last eight years, and uh, today we're, we're wrapping that up. Uh, we've been thinking about love, God who is love, the agape love of God, who has come to us and is transforming us and, and enabling us to live in this most excellent way. That is the, the way of love. It is the most excellent way. And as love has his way in our lives, we are able to give to others what it is that we so often demand from others. But we have this incapacity sometimes to give to others what it is that we're demanding from them. And so we've been talking about love, what it is, and, and growing in love. We know that without love, people are not going to thrive. I came across this study actually after the service last week on the following Monday Someone sent me some information about this study done in 1915 where these scientists took these babies from an orphanage and put them into a germ-free environment. They put them into these little sterile cubicles and the children were given everything that they needed for existence. It's just that they were never touched, they were never held, they were never cuddled. Unless absolutely necessary, they were not picked up. Every baby under the age of two, died. Every single one of them. Now, I hope nobody ever repeats this scientific experiment, but it did demonstrate very conclusively that you can have everything that you need in life, apparently, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. Now, we didn't need scientists to demonstrate that for us. We have the Bible. Some 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, if you don't have love, all you have is noise. If you don't have love, you are nothing, you gain nothing. So we know that love is the most excellent way, and we demand this way from other people, this way that Paul talks about when he says love is patient, love is kind, It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. We want that and we feel that we need that. And when we don't get that, we get very angry with other people. We know that that's the standard. We know that that's the point toward which our lives need to press. Now, in our society, oftentimes we want to reject some sort of standard toward which we press, some sort of end game. I was uh, reading about this one professor who was approached by a student who said, we don't even know that there are morals. In fact, we're not even sure that it's wrong to murder. And the professor asked the student, are, are you telling me that you have, you have no, that you have doubt about the morality of murder, that, that it's okay to murder someone? He said, well, some people might think that it's okay. And the professor said, no, I'm not asking someone else. I'm not asking other people. I'm asking you, do you seriously doubt that murder is wrong for everyone? The student paused for a moment and then he said, well, no, actually, I, I don't doubt that. And the professor said, good, let's talk about something that we actually do question. We all know that there is a standard. And in our gut, we feel that the standards all stand In love. This is why we demand this sort of love from other people. It's just that we don't often supply this love to others. And so let me just ask you, do you really have any doubt that love is the most excellent way? Do you really have any doubt that other people don't need exactly what it is that you need? Of course you don't. We know that this is the standard. We know this is the most excellent way. And so the question that remains that we're going to ask and answer this morning is, how do I grow in this most excellent way? And we need to grow in in it. Now, let me just make something really clear. Around this church, we do clearly proclaim that you're a Christian, not because you've worked your way into it or not because you've wished it to be so. I can't become a Christian any more than I could just, I don't know, uh, wish my way into becoming a horse or work my way into becoming an airplane as if I could possibly wish my way into or work my way into being something that I am not already. A Christian does not believe that you become a Christian through your works by exhibiting enough love so that somehow, someday you have arrived We understand that the Bible teaches that a Christian is not someone who has just simply exercised love because of pure grit. A Christian is somebody who has met the Lord of love. And in this encounter with the Lord of love, they've been born from above, reborn from above, by this love, so as to love as God intended for us to do from the very beginning. A person becomes a Christian the same way a person becomes a human being. You become a human being because of the grace that has been given to you by two parents that got together and gave you a life that you could not give to yourself. This is not to say that we don't accept this grace or accept this love, but you have become a Christian because God loved you, because he loved you, because he loved you. And by his grace, he wanted to give you his love. But just because we have to receive that love and receive that grace doesn't mean that that grace doesn't make demands on our lives. Just because He is the Lord of love doesn't mean that sometimes growing in this love isn't hard. Now, I I think maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So let's just kind of pause here for a moment before we press into how to grow into this love that's been given By reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through His Word. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these... Is love. And God bless. Reading his word. You may be seated. The question. How do I grow up in this love that has been given to me? How do I grow up into this love that I've received? How do I grow up into this love that has come into my life from above? Three things. Three concepts that emerge from this text. I'm going to mention them really quickly. Then we're going to go back and talk them through. How do I grow up in love? Number one. I have to see that I'm a child. Number two, I must embrace the difficulty or the pain of growth. And number three, I must trust in and hope in the Lord of love and where the Lord of love is taking me. Okay, number one, I must see that I'm a child. That is to say, I have to recognize that I've got a long way to go. I've got a lot of growth ahead of me. When the Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, But when I became a man, I put Childish Ways behind me. He is, in a very nice way, telling the Christians in Corinth that they're big babies. Now, he says it in a nice way, okay? But if you read through 1 Corinthians chapter, not just chapter 13, if you read through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, you see that this theme of growth is a really big deal because the Corinthian Christians really need to grow. There's a lot of immaturity here. Even though they've been blessed with all kinds of gifts and abilities and resources and and miracles, still there's fighting and division and one-upmanship and contention. They're just, they're fighting like babies. And so earlier in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul explains, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Their bickering is demonstrating their infancy. It's showing that they've got a lot of growth ahead of them, that they're acting like like little babies. So you shouldn't be worldly. If you're born from above, you're not just of this world, you're of another. And if you're born from above, if love has come into your life, then guess what? You're not merely human. The divine has intersected with the human. And to act merely like a human just shows what an infant you really are. We need to grow up into the love that has given us this rebirth. Paul later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says something else this is right after the chapter that we just we just been studying. Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. If you read through all of 1 Corinthians and then you understand the greater context and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you see that Paul is at least implicitly saying You've just been acting like babies because babies are impatient. Babies aren't kind. They're self-centered. Babies are envious and boastful and proud and rude and self-seeking and easily angered. They keep the record of wrongs. Said You're infants and you need to grow out of this. Now, if you think that Paul is being somewhat condescending or self-righteous in calling out the Corinthian Christians like this, I understand where you're coming from, but you would be wrong because the Apostle Paul actually identifies himself with the Corinthians. He actually sees himself as also a child before the Lord. Before we get into this, I just want you to understand that if you ever have this tendency, if not to say out loud, to think in your heart, you know, I wish these other Christians around me would they just grow up. If you look down your nose at other people, even other believers, and you think, you know... When I was a child, I talked like them and I thought like them and I reasoned like them. But now that I'm an adult, I put childish ways behind me. If that's your tendency, that's Scripture twisting at its worst. Because you're taking the Scripture out of its context. If you look at the immediate context, you know that Paul is not being uh, guilty of the one upmanship that he's been speaking against throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's go ahead and look at this, starting with verse 9. Notice the we's and the I's that the Apostle Paul uses here. He says, for we, verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Paul does not identify himself as the perfection. Now that Paul stepped into the room, the perfection has arrived. That's not what Paul's doing. He's not identifying the prophecy of Paul, the teaching of Paul, the words of Paul as the perfection. No, no, no. Actually, when later on he talks about this child versus adult thing, he's giving an illustration with which everyone in the room with him can identify. So when Paul moves on and he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He's building a connection with everybody else in there to help them to understand where he, along with they, happened to be in this moment. That they all need to grow up. We all need to grow up. And in case they're not getting this, look at what he says next. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And just in case they're not seeing that he's identifying where they are, he gets first person singular on them. And he says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The point of all of this is, if I am going to grow up in love, and if you are going to grow up in love, then we must identify ourselves for who we are. I am a child. You're a child. Before the perfection of love. And so we're gonna do something here this morning that it may feel a little weird to you. You probably haven't called yourself this in a while, but I want you to say out loud, I am a child. I don't wanna hear anybody saying, Ernest, you're a child. I want you to say, I am a child. Ready? On three. One, two, three. I am a child. And if that feels a little weird or embarrassing, please don't be embarrassed. You're just admitting reality. It's not embarrassing to identify oneself appropriately. It's not embarrassing for a child to call himself a child. You know what's really embarrassing? It's when a child does not admit that they're a child and then pretends to be an adult. That's embarrassing. Gene and I have this nephew who years ago, whenever we would correct him, he would, he would say, I already knew that. I know that, and it was incredibly childish. One day he grew up, and he and you know how I, he, he how I know he grew up. He grew up, and I knew it because he stopped doing that. We would tell him something, and then he would just okay. He didn't. I already knew that. I I know that. If you're a child, the most grown up thing you can do as a child is just admit that you're a child. The most childish thing a child can do is refuse to see what they should see, and that. And that is that they're a child. And adults actually do this sort of thing all the time. Gina and I have been going through the foster training. And about a week ago, the foster training uh, teacher in this particular occasion, her name was uh, Anita. She said, if you stand before the judge one day and the judge tells you to do something and you kind of feel as a parent that maybe you shouldn't do that, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And I wrote down a little note because I'm still a child and we passed notes in class. And and it said, I I know that I don't know. And Gina asked me later, what do you mean by this? I know that I don't know. And it was this simple. I've never done this before. I've never been a foster parent. I'm pretty sure that this judge has seen a hundred cases, a thousand cases. They've seen it all. They've experienced a lot. They're in a particular vantage point. I know that I don't know. And even though I may feel like maybe we should do something different or I don't know what what he's thinking, even though that's my gut-level response, I have to back off and admit I'm a child here. We've got two other parents. They both have lawyers. We're the foster parents. And then there's Starry that's involved. And then there's CASA, the child advocates. And then we've got CPS... And then we've got a judge and then we've got this team. You've got like 12 people surrounding this person. And guess who are the biggest newbies to the group? That would be me and you. I'm a child. Adults do this all the time. Soldiers do this. The commanding officer tells them to do something they don't understand. But in that moment, they say, I know that I don't know. I'm just a child before you. You've got the experience. You've got the vantage point. I know that I don't know. Students do this toward teachers, and how much more so should we as children before our Lord who held nothing back from us, how much more should we say, I'm just a child here, because we are. So if you're going to grow in love, you've got to first of all admit who you are. I'm a child. Let's not be childish and refuse to admit this. And until we do admit who we are, we're going to be stuck in our pride, and we're not going to advance forward. Which, by the way, just along these lines, if in your gut you still sort of feel like, well, you know, I know I'm still a child, but I'm an older child than this other one. I'm a little closer to the perfection of love than these people over here. If that's how you feel, you're still childish in your understanding. That's like saying 10 is closer to infinity than 5. No, it's not. If you say that, you don't understand infinity. Well, I'm closer to the perfection of love than these other people. No, you're not. And if you're feeling that in your gut, then you've forgotten love is, love does not boast. Love is not proud. You have underestimated love. You've still got a childish coloring book level view of love. Admit that you're a child. Then the second thing that's really important for us to grow up in love, and if you don't get the first step, you, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen for you. Because I, I know, look, I've been a pastor, a lot of you, you've been around for a while, and you've encountered people that have been around the church, and they've heard truth for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you kind of wonder, why are they still childish? Because they've not gone and touched base one. In their arrogance, they've refused to see that they're a child. And in their arrogance, they've been kept from growing. In some cases, not just for years, but decades. Admit you're a child. Number two, you've got to embrace the difficulty of growth. Because growing up is hard to do. When the Apostle Paul says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I I put childish ways behind me. When Paul says this, it sounds kind of sweet until you pause for a moment and you remember growing up is hard. It's not easy. It's really not. I feel for our students, which, by the way, speaking of growing up, are our kids getting ginormous? I, re- I mean, really, when they're passing the plates, I'm just thinking, I used to be like this, and now you're like this. and I'm a. Afraid of you guys now. I mean, like, really? Like, okay, okay, you pass the plate, I'll give you whatever. You guys are big, okay. But growing up is hard, and not just physically, just emotionally, relationally. How many, how many twenty something plus people in here would say, I would love to go through puberty again? Nobody. Growing up is hard. Growing up isn't just about setting aside your toys or or getting rid of your clothes. Growing up is like dying. Every time you grow up, it's like going through a season where you die to yourself a little bit so that you can become someone that you are not currently. And death is kind of painful and hard, and it doesn't come naturally to embrace that. But it's not just about putting off your clothes or putting off your toys. It's about putting off You. That's growth, and it's hard. Uh, a lot of you know that I do try to read a book a week. I don't always succeed in doing this, uh, but this last week I did. I, read, I sat down and I read a book cover to cover. It took me six minutes. It was a children's book, but it counts. Um, it's called Little Tree, and I'm going to read it to you, or at least part of it. I would like to read you the whole thing, but I don't have like four minutes to spare. Okay, so uh, let me just tell you how it starts. Here's the first picture. You can put that up on the screen. Hello, little tree, said a squirrel. You're supposed to drop your leaves now. But little tree was unsure. What would he do without his leaves? Now, making a short story even shorter, here's what happens next. Little tree wants to hold on to his leaves, but he's surrounded by all these other trees. And as he holds on to his leaves, to his past, refuses to let go, the other trees around him grow. Then one day, Little Tree notices all these other former Little Trees who are now Big Trees, and Little Tree recognizes his mistake. So one day, Little Tree lets go of Little Tree's leaves. And then he grows and grows, and here's how the whole story ends. Here's the last picture in the book. Once there was a Little Tree. Isn't that great? I read that book this week. Um It's wonderful. It's a great book. It's a great story. I love children's books because a lot of them are about growing up. But here's where things sort of fall apart a little bit. Growing up is not like letting go of leaves. It's not that simple. Growing up is about letting go of you. It's not just about dropping the past. It's more than that. It's like tearing off your flesh so that you're in a position to be remade. I love the imagery that Paul uses in the New Testament about the flesh and mortifying, killing the flesh. It's a necessary step in growth, dying to self, but that's rarely easy. I got a call from a a lady earlier this week and uh, she was peered up, obviously, and she wanted to talk to Gene to and I, and, and we both met with her, and it was fantastic. And But when she called, and said, I want to meet with you, I want to meet with your wife, she talked about how she was really growing, or struggling to grow in this one arena of life in particular, and she's doing this for the sake of her husband, and for the sake of her children, and for the sake of her legacy. And so we met with her, and it was wonderful. But one of the things she said initially was, with tears in her voice, I, I feel like Eustace in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which that's a C.S. Lewis book, which I actually did read. Okay. Here's the story. It's a great illustration. There's a scene in Voyage of the Dawn Treader when Eustace is, who is this kind of gnarly little kid. He's kind of a brat and through magic and greed, he's become a dragon. He has sunk in life as low as he could possibly go. Eustace doesn't want to be a dragon anymore. He wants to return to human form. He doesn't know how to do it. Aslan, the Christ figure, you know, the lion, the Christ figure in the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia books. Aslan shows up and he leads Eustace to this well of water, a well of sorts. And he says, jump into the water. But before you jump into the water, you need to undress. Eustace, being a dragon, doesn't exactly know how to do this, but he figures He's got these scales, and maybe he can pull off his skin like a snake can shed its skin. And so he pulls off the scales and this layer of skin, and sure enough, under the skin, there's another layer of skin. He's still a dragon. He tries again. He's still a dragon. Takes off the scales and the, the skin one more time, and underneath it all, after he's done all of his efforts, he's still who he was before. He's still a dragon. And the point is, when a snake sheds its skin, a snake's still a snake, the dragon's still a dragon, And at this point, Eustace is very upset and he tells his cousin what happened next. Eustace explains, then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch And smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And threw me into the water. It smarted like anything but only for a moment. And that's when he discovered that his humanity had been restored. Growing in love hurts. Growing in love is hard. It involves the tearing of the flesh. It involves the mortifying of the self. It's not like dropping your toys or dropping your leaves or dropping your clothes. It's like dropping yourself. And that hurts because God has to reach in, even sometimes with what feels like a claw, all the way to the heart of who you are so as to transform your life so that you never... Or no longer talk as you once talked. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, says Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus has to reach in there with his Aslan claw and tear. And you have to take it so you can be remade. So you don't talk as you once did, so that you don't think as you once did, so you don't reason as you once did. And all of that growth in love, that actual legitimate to the heart, to the quick transformation, it requires you to trust Aslan. And to trust in where he's taking you. And that brings us to the final thing. How do I grow in love? Number one, I must admit that I'm a child. I've got to see myself for who I am as a child. Number two, I have to embrace the pain and the difficulty that comes with growth. And then number three, I must trust in and hope in the Lord of love and where the Lord of love is taking me. This whole love chapter ends with this wonderful statement, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In the end, only love remains, as you would expect, because God is love. There is a future orientation to faith and to hope. But one day, the future comes. One day, the, there is the perfect, and the word that's used for perfect there is teleos, the goal, the end. What's, what, what is it like? When the eschaton shows up, when up there comes down here, when the kingdom comes on earth as it, as, as it, as, the, as God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens at the very end? There's only love. Only love remains. What that means is, in the meantime, God has an agenda for your life and for my life to peel away and to chip away everything that is not love so that in the end, only His love remains. And God will have his way in your life and in my life because the good work that he's begun in you, he will carry out to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul says. One day, people will be able to see in me and in you the perfect reflection of God. And since that's where things are heading, that's why we need to cooperate in the meantime with with God's loving agenda for us. Because he's taking us there, whether we like it or not. But the sooner we get to where it is that he's taking us, to that degree, we, we will be able to reflect his glory and show his love to other people, and that's what we want because we are a family of priests revealing Christ. And if you think, well, that was kind of a mouthful, Ernest. I didn't have time to write that down, and I'm not so sure. That sounds overdone and maybe too poetic. That's not being too poetic. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul is pressing toward in this chapter. Let's go back to, to chapter 13, verse 12. Once again, let's read this. Paul says, Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In ancient times, mirrors were polished metal. They weren't reflective glass like we have now. Polished metal. So if you see your face in polished metal, it's not going to be a perfect reflection. It's going to be a little silvery, a little... a little. You know, yellowish, if it's bronze, it's not going to be like the glass that we have now. We're going to see our faces imperfectly. Now, let me just ask you real quickly, so you can track with me here. When you look in a mirror, who are you seeing? It's not a trick question. There is a wrong answer here. When you look in a mirror, who are you looking at? Yourself. So here he's saying, now I look, Now I see in a mirror uh, imperfectly. Then I shall see face to face. Now, wait a second. Um, whose face are you seeing? And how can I see face, how can I see me face to face if the contrast is between me not seeing myself appropriately in the mirror and then one day I see face to face? I'm not exactly sure how that, that all follows up. Here's what Paul's driving at. Until God has had his loving way in your life, chipping away and stripping away everything that is not love, you will not see yourself as God sees you. And the way that God sees you is exactly the way that you need to see yourself. We want to reflect the glory of God to other people. And when we get to that point where only his face is seen, we see ourselves in his face just as his face is seen in us. When love has had love's way in us, we we understand ourselves appropriately and we understand God appropriately. Those two things match up. Because we were created in his image, and when his image is completely restored in us, we have perfect knowledge of ourselves and perfect knowledge of him. Let me ask you this. How is it that you want your children to see themselves? Think about little children. How do you want your children to see themselves? The answer is real simple. As you're raising your children, you want your children to see themselves exactly the way you see them. How does your child understand your child's self? They understand themselves in you. Every once in a while, you know, Shelby's about to go off to school in about, well, four days. And I'll be sitting across the table from her at a restaurant and she'll just look at me looking at her and then she'll just get this nervous laugh and like, what are you doing? And here's what it is. I'm just looking at her and I'm so proud of her and I'm loving her and I'm just seeing so much beauty in her. And that's actually how it's been. Since the day she came into this world, I've wanted her to grow up in that love and see herself in my face. And I know Gina has wanted her to see herself in Gina's face. Guess what? God wants you to see yourself in his face. He wants to be your mirror. We've been going through this foster training and the the question has been for both of us, why are we doing this? And we're going to have the child maybe for six weeks, six months, a year. I don't know. I don't know how often we're going to do this. But here's our agenda. We want that child to understand themselves the way we are seeing the child. But more than that, we want the child to see themselves as we reflect to them the face of God. How does God see you? How does He want you to see yourself? He wants you to see yourself in light of His unconditional, perfect, unfailing love. And here's how He sees you as someone who is certainly capable of bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, and never failing. And when love has had love's way in your life, then you are where God wants you to be, understanding yourself as you should, understanding God as you should. Knowing fully, even as now you're fully known, and also making God fully known to others around you. What a glorious time it will be for us in heaven. Beholding in one another and in the very face of God nothing less than perfect love. That is your destiny. That's where God is taking you. Isn't that great? Now here's my question. Why, no matter how painful it is, why, if you know that's where God is taking you, why would you not cooperate with God's agenda? Aslan is a Lord we can trust, and where he is taking us is exactly where actually, deep down inside, we want to be. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, you're so good to us. And to encounter your love is to be changed by it. Lord, we know we're children. We've got a lot of growing up to do and letting go is hard. Dying to ourselves is hard. Taking up our cross daily, it's hard. But we trust You because You are the Lord of love and we know where You're taking us. You have given us a foretaste and You are taking us to be completely transformed into the image of Your Son. You are transforming us to a point where we can fully reflect Your glory and Your face can be seen in ours. where we know, as right now, we are fully known. And we know that's not just intellectual knowledge, that's the lens of love. Adam and Eve knew each other and they had a son. (laughs) To be known as as you know us in perfect love. That is how we want to be known, not just by you, but by one another. Thank you for moving us and the community of us Toward this ultimate destiny, we are looking forward to heaven. We are looking forward to your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We are looking forward to your end goal. It is a perfect end goal. that, in the end, there would only be love. Give us the wisdom to grow in this love. And as we grow in this love, to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And we pray this in Christ's blessed holy name. Amen. You stand as we continue in worship. I'll be here to talk with you and pray with you. I'll be at the back over here if you want to pull me aside. Maybe after the service you want to pull me aside. I'd love to visit with you further about growing in love and what does it mean to enter into this love relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ the Son. I don't know how the Lord is dealing with you, but you allow the Lord to deal with you. You allow His Holy Spirit to deal with you that you might continue to move forward in this growth in love.